My name is Christopher Thomas Blaine. My name is Russ Frustick. And welcome to the Resties, where the rest of the best discuss the best of the rest. This week, we're talking about the best of the best, Crab Champions, a crab game with guns. But before we get into that, we've got some other stuff, apparently. Yeah, well, I, I do have some other stuff, but it, while you were saying our tagline, the best of the re- where the what is it? The, where the best of the rest. Wait, where the rest of the best discuss the best of the rest. While you were saying that, it almost had like a Mario rap beat to it, and it mm. kind of made me wish that the resties had its own Mario style rap. But I, I we could table that for later. I realize that's not something we're going to come Are you up. Sure, you don't want to try to just I'm not, freestyle it. Right I'm not going to do it off the dome I, at, the, at yeah? this very moment. No, I'm I just wanted to. Beat? No, I'm good. Thank you. Okay. Um, the thing I want to talk about before we jump into Crep Champions, which is an excellent game, and I'm really looking forward to talking about it. I have a problem with the Hungry Caterpillar. The book, The Hungry Caterpillar. Well, the guy. The caterpillar. The actual hungry, the caterpillar that is hungry. Yeah. Um, I uh, recently bought, I guess there are spinoffs. Everyone knows the hungry caterpillar, the official, you know, he gets hungry. He eats like all sorts of junk food. He gets a tummy ache. He eats a leaf and then he turns into a butterfly. That's like the classic hungry, hungry caterpillar. Hungry caterpillar, angry iguana, constipated chicken. Yeah. All very consistent. Sure. So they've done spinoffs since then. And just this weekend, I, I purchased one of the spinoffs for my young child who enjoys <laughs> The Hungry Caterpillar OG. And the spinoff is The Hungry Caterpillar Eats Dinner. And the premise of the book is that it's a shapes book for kids to learn shapes. Okay. So they talk about triangles and like, oh, The Hungry Caterpillar is eating a watermelon slice and a pizza, for example. Uh-huh. That's all fine. You know, he likes The Caterpillar. It's always had like a pretty good message of like, eat a bunch of junk food and you're fine so long as you have a salad after it. That's fine. And then it got to the rectangle page. Okay. Now, when you're thinking rectangle meals, what immediately jumps to your head? Sub sandwich hot dogs. Okay. Interesting. I guess the hot dog bun is a rectangle. Yeah. And the sub sandwich more of an oval. I don't know what sort of okay, rectangle okay. substance. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, isn't a sub sandwich in the in the book? No. Okay. He, what's in the book <laughs> is a corn on the cob. That's the rectangle in the book. Is a corn on the cob. Now <laughs> this is the bit. This it's not, is what it's you not brought? even a bit. I'm pissed about it. <laughs> I'm genuinely pissed. The corn on the cob is a rectangle in what universe? In, in a 2D universe, which a book is. Yes, Ima- but... Imagine that you that you took a 2D slice of a corn on the cob. What would you say it looked like? Okay, but if you're trying to teach kids shapes and you say a fucking corn on the cob is a rectangle and then a kid sees a corn on the cob in uh, reality, don't you think that's not teaching them the right lesson? You want to give them like a chocolate bar. Yeah, or like, like a fucking rectangle. <laughs> yeah, well, what other 2D foods are there? It doesn't need to be 2D. It just needs to be... Sh- what other like, rectangle foods are the, there? Here's the issue. is a, a corn like, cob- oh, You know what? I want like an Italian sandwich. Like what, what, are, what, are, what are 2D foods? No, here's what I'm saying. Or, sorry, the, rectangle foods. The problem is corn on the cob is already a shape. It's already a shape that everyone acknowledges is a shape oh. and it's a cylinder, right? Yes. So I have the answer also. It's a casserole. Okay. Oh, that's your answer is casserole? Yeah, casserole. That would be perfect. Or like a pizza. Yeah, p- ca- casserole is fine. Don't say a pizza. That, see, that's confusing. Sicilian. Then you're like, oh, you're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> it, should be, <laughs> it should be a shapes book. Oh, my gosh. Fresh. We've got to make this book. Oh, and it's just <laughs> pizza. <laughs> Only pizzas. <laughs> I cut this pizza into a star shape. It's a star. <laughs> this is good. This is this is where we get rich. Trapezoid pizza. For so long. Oh man, this is what the people come to us for. No, this is good. You start from a place of antagonism and yeah. you work your way to a billion dollar. Hey, idea. Eric Carl, get fucked. <laughs> hey, um. Also, everybody else, if you want this book, uh, look out for our Kickstarter. It's gonna be dropping any day now. Let's talk about video games. Okay, so Crab Champions. 
you're going to have to help explain it to me because I, I have played it. I played it with you. I enjoyed it a lot. And we're yeah. going to get into that. I don't understand how it is. How how did it come to exist? How is it so popular? Uh, how how did it get made? Like uh, numerous questions. So if you could if you could kick things off, other than it being it's a it's a crab game. Yeah, no, I'm sure because there's there's a there's a kind of opening to this game okay. which is very bizarre. Um. So there's a uh, EDM producer, composer, I guess, named Noise Storm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you probably, the name might not ring a bell to you, but- The only EDM I know is Sandstorm. That's uh, Darude Sandstorm, certainly. No, this is a different person. Noise Storm created a song called Crab Rave in 2018. Um, and you might recall seeing on YouTube a- a CG music video wherein a bunch of crabs kind of dance on a beach mm-hmm. in like a, a rave fashion. And behind that is a very catchy EDM tune called Crab Rave. Sure. And that video, let me check the current number. Last I checked, it was about, yeah, okay. So that video is at 158 million views right now. So pretty big on a YouTube scale. And I guess for some reason, after it kind of blew up a variety of billboard charts, it was it peaked at number 14 on the dance electric charts in 2018. <laughs> um, this person, Noise Storm, who is also known as, one second, their real name is, oh boy, I'm gonna screw this up. It's, it's a Gaelic name, Oin O'Broin. Okay. Is how I'm gonna attempt to speak to say it Uh, this person went ahead and decided they are going to make their own video game featuring crabs off of the success of crab rave do you do you think this was like a kind of like a pandemic brain idea so it's actually not a pandemic thing because the game was announced in 2019 Mm. and uh it was basically a game that was uh announced as being solely developed by o'broin and the intention was to create a third-person shooter, a 3D platformer, a racing game, and a 3D fighting game all in one. Hell yeah. Um, there's kind of a running joke with uh, all of the Crab Rave slash Crab Champion stuff. They always get announced or released on April 1st. I guess it's like an April Fool's kind of thing, but it's always real. And in this case, it's certainly real because we played Crab Champions, which came out on April 1st, 2023. And is currently absurdly well reviewed on Steam. Maybe one of the most, the highest reviewed indie games I've ever seen on Steam. Right now, it has five thousand, over five thousand reviews, and ninety-eight percent of them are positive, which is Staggering. outrageous. That's like Half-Life Two levels of like critical acclaim on Steam. Using, I guess they're not critics; they're are fans, but people reviewing it absolutely adore this game. And I and I get it because the game is fucking dope. And I think we should talk about what the game actually is. Okay, so I'll try to explain the game. Okay. It is a, like, roguelike shooter, third-person shooter. You play as a crab on a on a bright, sunny island, for the most part. There's some ice biomes, I think, some yeah. lava biomes. And your job is to shoot other crabs and kill them. And Not exclusively crabs. There are also like worms and furs. Sure, other critters. Skulls that shoot fire. <laughs> and and then when you do that, you like clear out an area. Then you move on to the next area, like a roguelite. And then you clear that one out and you move on to the next one. And every so often you come across a store where you can use uh, like the currency that you've accrued over the course of this. Buy power-ups. Or at the end of each um, at the end of each level, when you complete a level, you also can choose from a variety of power ups. Yeah, and if... as yeah, as the game goes on, your weapons get stronger, your power ups get wilder, and in the end, you're just a, a crab with the ability to unleash hellfire. Yeah, it follows a pretty traditional roguelike style, like format, yeah. um, and. That's totally fine because uh, that format is tried and tested and allows for like a lot of replayability because everyone is dependent on what you get out of the RNG boxes and what you buy from the store. 
Um, so I guess I was like a little skeptical in terms of whether I would dig it um, just because I've played a lot of these and I played... But when it starts, there's more reason to be skeptical because yeah. you, you start the game and there's like no menu. You just... The game just like boots. Right yeah, there's the no, game, like, there's no like welcome to crab jam. You know, like no yeah. a, a splash screen or anything like that. You're just suddenly on a beach and you're a crab running around. Yeah, it feels like playing like an alpha of yeah. a game. Uh, you know, whenever we have to do that for the press, and and it, you know, it looks fine. I mean, it mostly looks like I don't know Unreal assets. I don't know how they what they use to make it, but it doesn't look unique. I would say in terms yeah. of its visual style or assets. Um, it looks like largely out of the box. I don't know if that's true or not, but it feels so good. Yeah. It feels so good. Yeah. So the crab, as you're running around, you have a number of abilities. You've got like a double jump. You've got dashes. You can slide on your, I guess, crab knees. And that's kind of like a sprint where it'll like dramatically increase your speed while you're sliding. Um, and all of these, like all these mobility options really tie into, you being able to maneuver around what are outrageously overwhelming odds as you move through the game. You're fighting at times like dozens, if not a hundred enemies at once, and they're all kind of swarming over you. People that have played like Risk of Rain, this is all very familiar. Like this is this is pretty well-worn territory again, but I actually find the mobility stuff in this like for just very easy to jump into and welcoming and and very satisfying to just move around the world yeah it, it's i don't want to say bad game design is good game design because i have no idea what the intentionality behind this is it knows where not to overthink it so one of the things that we noticed like right away is your bullets seem to go on forever and have no drop and no like diminishing damage which in a lot of games, like Call of Duty, for example, or Battlefield, right? There's going to be bullet drop, or just your 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 ammo kind of sprays in a yeah. general area. It is not super precise. And in this, it felt like even with the starter gun, if I aimed at something across the screen and I had the dot on it, it was going to hit it and deal whatever damage it would have if it was two inches away from me. Yeah, I do think there is actually bullet drop for what it's worth, but I think. Um... It is very, very forgiving and very arcadey to the point where you, it feels more like you're playing Doom than you are, yeah, like a battlefield where it's like realistic, you know, bullet physics or whatever, which is funny to say in a game called Crab Champions where you play as a crab. But I do agree that it feels rough in a good way insofar as it just like gets you into it a lot quicker than you normally would do with the you know a multiplayer game like this yeah well and and part of the pleasure of mechanical video games is that you're one with the machine is that when you tell the machine the game to do something and it does exactly what you expected it to do that feels really good and there's a million reasons not to give exactly that sense of pleasure on every game right like you want to create a sense of skill or that the player is learning and evolving that they're not immediately rewarded with being perfect uh, or the game responding exactly as intended. But something about this game, the, the, at the very beginning in that kind of open space that you're talking about, there are a variety of platforming prompts. And it's you know, like, jump up this you know thing, do your double jump. It's like a tutorial, um, basically. Yeah, just a general tutorial. But the I don't know a good way of describing this other than like, it immediately felt spot on. I, you know, yeah. there's a lot of platforming games where, especially like a third-person shooter, you kind of have to get a sense for the gravity, I guess, uh, the sense of motion. And right away, I, I felt like, oh, I land exactly where I want to land. I guess, is there a lot of um, control of your movement in air? There is. There's a ton. Yeah. 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 That, that's probably a huge part of it. Yeah. I, I think a large percentage of this development cycle was probably spent tuning the movement because they know how important it is like to make sure that that's right before you do anything else um and it feels great to like move around the world as it does in like fucking mario 64 when you're running around uh peach's castle like it, it needs to feel great and and uh it does indeed in crab champions as well the other part about intentionality so the game's like 
we broke it on our first try. Yeah. <laughs> and 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 that I love that. I love a game especially these days that knows how oh, what to let you break and what not to. And by that I mean I don't want a hard crash out of a game. That right. sucks. I don't want like the visuals breaking in some disturbing way that takes me out of the game. But uh, every once in a while having the power balance get completely out of whack that's super fun, and holy shit, did we knock it out of whack. Yeah, so why don't you tell the people what exactly was done to break the game? Yeah, so again, like, at the end of each stage, you get a choice of a few upgrades, right? And they're very gradual, whatever, whatever. After, like, I don't know, probably like six or seven stages, I found a totem that it basically was called like a greed totem and it gave me effectively unlimited money so much money that i could never run out of it yeah um just millions and millions of crab dollars or whatever <laughs> and and in return though uh it took my health down to i think what were we at like four yeah four health you and, were at four health and for a point of comparison i think you start at like 300 health yeah yeah so four it, it's just you get touched you die yeah um but the, the good news is, if you are playing on co-op, as long as you could get through, that could get us to the next shop. So we basically needed to get through, I think, like four islands to get to a shop where we could start spending money again. Yeah. And we, we, we managed to do that. And once I got to the next shop, I bought out the store, and then uh, you showed me how to re-roll the store. And every time you re-roll, it appears that it increases the odds of the re-roll totem exploding, so yeah. you can't do it anymore. And we, we just got super lucky, and I think I got, like, 20 re-rolls in a roll. Like, completely broke the game in an instant. So I was able to restore all of my health and more, build up tons of shield, and, it, yeah, I, I, but, you know, we I, at once I did that, then it was easy-peasy getting from one store to the next, so basically, I, I don't know what there are like, probably six stores that we hit between then and the end of the yeah, game. Yeah, you had gotten, I want to say like hundreds of perk upgrades and stuff like that, like probably 10x more than anyone playing normally would ever, ever see in a run. And you were just like an unstoppable killing machine, basically. Yeah, for the bosses, we had a rule that Frush just couldn't attack. He would, we would just see like what damage I could do on my own. The very final boss, I think I shot it for two seconds. Yeah, and it just um, died. And it just died, yeah. And that was super fun. I don't want the game to do that every time. That yeah. obviously would not be great. I think it would be next to impossible for us to recreate that if we tried. Right, I, 100%, yeah. And I, it does make me wonder, so, you know, obviously I care a lot about this genre. I've played a ton of them. Over time, as these, especially with ones that are popular, and this one certainly is, it has a pretty huge following. Um, they get, you know, new features and balance patches and all sorts of stuff like that. And eventually, these games tend to settle into more of a, I guess, meta that is, while it has the potential to still be game breaking, you know, Binding of Isaac, you can break a run, but it also is very mindful to like not do that easily so like getting one item isn't necessarily the solve for breaking the entire game and i'll be interested to see whether this developer decides hey i'm gonna make this a little more serious which i think would kind of be a downer because there are honestly like so many serious like technical roguelites that require like very thoughtful selection of perks and stuff like that and this is that like you could still do that here but I, I hope that they continue to lean into the idea of like, hey, breaking the game is fun. Just like enjoy yourself because yeah. we had a blast. It was really like a lot of fun and very silly. It was so much fun. Um, do you. So, again, the game looks like it, it's mostly using like stuff from Unreal. I'm sure I'm sure there's custom work done here. I, I'm really not trying to undercut them. I more want to get to the question of could do you. Do you think Unreal being like effectively free to start to dig into or Unity or whatever? Sure. That that's the only reason something like this is possible and that we will see more games like this as those tools become one, they're about as cheap as they can get now, uh, but two, they become easier and easier to use. Yeah. So, so just a note for, for clarity, I know you know this plant, but just for people that don't know it at home, you plants, right? Like a lot of those tools, uh, Unreal, et cetera, are free. 
if you're selling something using those tools, after a certain amount of revenue, you have to kick them some percentage. I don't know what the percentage is offhand, yeah. but that's basically how Absolutely. Unreal makes their money is like, okay, you're using our tools. That's fine. Enjoy yourself. But the second you make a certain amount of money, we get a cut of that. Um, and I think we are going to continue, you know, this has been happening for years now, uh, many years has it been free like that to start. I think we're going to continue seeing more of this. I think uh, with the launch of Fortnite, uh, it's called the Unreal for Fortnite uh, creator or whatever, just got updated where people can use those tools and create Fortnite maps. We're going to see stuff that is like, even more involved and creative than anyone has ever really made for like a Fortnite map because they're making it all way more accessible. And I think this kind of game is the sort of thing that you might see in like a Fortnite, for example, because the tools are now reachable by anyone. So yes, I think it's going to be way more common to see this sort of thing. I would expect that for people that see this level of success, they might feel a little bit like, oh, Unreal, you know, is profiting off of my success. And maybe they would like switch for a second game, switch to another platform that uh, isn't taking as much of a cut. But okay, so this is this is wild. The Unreal cut in the Unreal Engine EULA is 5% royalties of a gross lifetime revenues if you exceed a million dollars. That is nothing. <laughs> I mean, most games are not even going to come. I mean, what? 99% of games are not going to make over a million dollars. Yeah, no, that is 100% true. Wild. Um, And also it's waived if you, um, for when you publish on Epic Game Store. Uh, Because there's there's a separate cut they would get there. Um, But that is nuts. Yeah, I I, 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 do. I'm like hesitant to say like that's it because I feel like there's more to it than that. Because like EA is paying more than 5% of their revenue to for the Unreal Engine, presumably, on like Star Wars Jedi yeah, Survivor. Must be some, hmm, yeah. So I so I don't want to like say for sure what exactly the cut is, but I do agree with you. Like I think for most creators, they probably are gonna be able to make a game using Unreal. And given that you're not going to be making a ton of revenue, you probably won't have to kick anything back, which is great. It also bakes people into knowing Unreal, learning Unreal, and then only making games in Unreal, which, again, is is sort of their profit model to begin with. So I don't think yeah. it's bad by any means, but people should be very careful about reading the fine print to make sure you know what you're doing, um, especially if you're planning on making a bunch of money. Yeah, the, the other thing there is... Uh... This is probably going to come with any engine you use, unless you make your own engine. Yeah. Uh, so yes, but that good good note. Uh, one more uh, question on this, and it's kind of the the scary question: artificial intelligence, game design. Have you seen like the glut of new YouTube videos where it's like, I made a video game yeah. using AI, and I, I don't did. even know how to code. Yes. I, oh, I've watched one. I watched one where some guy made Flappy Bird using an AI to like write the programming. Yes. Do do you? <laughs> I don't mean this to diminish this game because I don't think you can make literally this game with AI. But there's something about games like this that are so rough around the edges, sure, but are still wonderful and fun. They're just they're rough, right? They're they're like feel just like rough drafts of video games, and I don't even know if I want the full draft or the final draft. Do you think that that, that that is close to like what AI game development could accomplish? Or are we like a decade away from even, you know, someone using AI to code something like this? It depends on what you're using the AI for. So for example, right now, today, you could type into an AI program, hey, I'm making a crab platformer and I want the crab to move at, such and such speed, and I want it to be able to jump 10 pixels or whatever it is. And can you please write that code? I don't know if you need to say please, it just seems nice. <laughs> and you can do that right now, and it will spit something out, and you could be like, oh, well, that's pretty good, but I feel like the crab is not jumping high enough, so maybe like, you know, double the height of the crab jump, and it'll spit out new code. And so I think right now where AI is at, it is able to make 
very basic components of a game for like very traditional like you know code like a a, a shop menu for a vendor in my video game and it yeah. could like start to make the framework of that um i do think that it is like a long way away from like you're not going to type into AI, like, make a 3D crab beach-based game with multiplayer in it. And it's gonna make spit it extra game. fun. Yeah, and make it super-duper fun. Uh, yeah, now, we're, we're very far, if ever, away from that. And honestly, like, if we ever get to that point, it will be the games that, like, diverge from the norm that the AI is programmed off of yeah. that end up breaking out and being super successful and interesting. Because no one wants to play the fucking generated game that is using like uh, i don't know i no I, I i agree with you and i i also think i mean to go back to the first point you were making i think it will be like github now where like people go to github and yes scroll for a type of code for a problem they're solving yes and then you know plug it in um but i would love I'm, i know we have a number of people who make games listening to the show shoot a tweet to us or an email. I, I would be very curious to hear what your experience is. In terms of will people buy um, things that are generated off of what's already out there, I think um, there are plenty of vampire survivors, you know, clones that are, are making plenty of money. That's so, right. yeah, I, I think I think it'll just kind of depend on what it is. Yeah, I, to go back to this game, again, I don't think this is made in AI. I think this is like a passion project yeah. by this person who did a very good job and like, uh, let me just say one more thing. Like, I, I praise Fortnite a lot because it's very easy to jump into and play multiplayer with other people. This too was like barrier to entry of like Chris joining my beach as another crab was like 30 seconds. It just was like, boom, and we're in a game and it didn't worry about like me playing more than he had played. It was just like instant fun. And for 10 bucks, like fucking pretty stellar. Yeah. Yeah, I recommend it. I think people should try it. Uh, do do not mistake my questions about AI or uh, in the box on real for any criticism of the game because it's definitely not. It is. Uh, it's just fucking silly, and I we need yeah, more silly well, games. Is is and, my and, and, and like, the reason I brought up all the the engine and the AI stuff is I think it's exciting that somebody can make a game that's like this that that you don't have to over polish your game into oblivion whether you are a triple a dev or an indie dev because even indie games as devolver and raw fury and all these other studios become more dominant even indie games have started to feel i don't know polished in, in a way that is is very different than what this is and i get that this is early access but i i, re I really hope it doesn't lose lose that kind of vibe yeah i agree I, I am optimistic. I think it's I think it's a very good start, and I'm curious to see where it goes in like the next year. Okay, should we take a break? Let's do it. Okay, welcome back. Um, before we get into some other stuff, I know we talked about it already, the Super Mario Brothers movie. Um, while I was watching it, I wanted to. I, I guess what kept running through my head is like, how does I don't think there's any doubt that there will be more Mario movies and they will probably f all fall in the same format as this Mario movie did, more or less, tone, whatever. Where do things go from here from a video game movie standpoint? Are people going to basically follow this model of like kid-friendly, very safe, very uh, familiar and, and, and uh, approachable? Or are we going to see movies that maybe follow in the in the footsteps of the excellent Castlevania anime series where you try to do like a more mature approach to a video game franchise? Or is it just like both and, and everything sort of gets... I mean, video games are just the IP now that everyone's going to be pulling from. Yeah, I think it's going to be like superheroes. I think people have been asking the question of, you know, what is the next superheroes for... Uh, the better part of a decade. And this is the easiest for Hollywood to look at and be like, yeah, this is it. Because you see Last of Us dominating TV, you see Super Mario dominating movies. It feels, I, I could see to them how it could feel like, oh yeah, it's it's one for one. Of course, it, it's not at all. The big difference with like why Marvel worked from the very beginning was they had this massive collection of established characters and story. 
and they could pick the very best of the best of all of that stuff. And it was just ready to go, right? And that's the opposite with video games. You have a massive collection of IP, of iconic characters. You are very much uh, wanting for story <laughs> that is, like, proven. And the, the example there is, like, Resident Evil, right? Like, you can't... I love the Resident Evil games. They're some of my favorite games. You cannot tell me that adapting any of the Resident Evil games into a movie would be a good idea. Well, not not in a like official adaptation sense. Like you would have to wink and nudge your way through, you know, almost make it into a satire for it to work. Yeah, or or just be like, look at the story of Resident Evil Seven, right? Like, yeah, maybe the first hour, and then you include the part where it's like the the brother turns into bees or whatever, <laughs> or the entire ending. You know, with Resident yeah. Evil Eight, how much time do you spend on the giant baby? <laughs> you know, like, and, and, and all those things are awesome in a video game. They work, and the, sto- the story is good in a video yeah. game. It fits the, the 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 medium, but I don't think I don't think it's as transferable as a lot of people are going to think it is. Um, well, I, yeah, because you don't have you, you're right. You have the characters. You don't have the story to back them up in a movie sense. That's why Last of Us was such an aberration, is because it was already essentially made with movie structure in mind. So there like basically was it was ready to go but uh, I can't even think of that there are so few games that follow that same format. Yeah. I think w- what else we're going to see is a lot of movies based off of games that either nobody has cared about for a long time or even games that people haven't heard of where people from an indie studio are going to go in and pitch uh you know some mid-level Hollywood team on their indie game being the next great movie. And they'll have, I don't know, a few good reviews and some what looks like decent Steam sales or whatever and say, yeah, this game's a major hit. You you can get in on the video game Gold Rush for pretty cheap in terms of optioning this and, you know, rushing it to to screens. Yeah, uh, so uh, can you explain to people what optioning is for people that aren't familiar? Yeah, optioning, uh, the, the, the short version of it is buying the option to turn that into a movie, and then it's exclusive to you. So if I said, I want the option for The Grapes of Wrath, then I could acquire it, and then nobody else could make The Grapes of Wrath until my option expired. Right. Uh, and I, I obviously this has already happened for major game franchises like Assassin's Creed, which eventually got made into a movie, but Bioshock, for example, has already been optioned and has been in like development hell forever. I guess the question now is, is there like a further gold rush and you kind of implied it with these indies that like, like bud bug snacks, for example, obviously a smaller franchise, not even a franchise. It's just one game has like a following and was well-received and like, it's very cute and fun. Like it wouldn't shock me if some studio went and like option bug snacks. Cause maybe Netflix wanted to turn it into like an animated series or something uh, like that. I, I, I'll put it this way. I have two different friends who are pitching video games to studios right now. Yeah. And I hadn't heard of either of the video games. <laughs> and I work at, at Polygon and we yeah. have this show. That, and that's not that, to say that those games are bad. A trillion video games come out every year. Yeah. There are plenty of good ones that we miss. But that's like wild. I don't know that many people who work in the industry. Yeah. You know? And and I do know a ton of games. So I I think... I don't know if it's all getting bought yet, but you know, people people can sense it. It's in the air. Yeah. And I think everybody's gonna be trying to get one of these deals, you know, while they can. I think Sony is obviously best positioned. Sony already has a business tied to filmmaking. That sure. was I think the the plan that they wanted to do, I don't know, two decades ago, and they're finally making good on it. And they've built all their games to be um cinema friendly. That said, I'm I don't know. Like I know that um Horizon Zero Dawn is in development and while that game is very cinematic, I don't and it has a good world, I don't know if I would want the that script to be adapted. I, I would probably want like an original script that's just in that world. Yeah, and I think that's what you're gonna have to see is original scripts. Again, I think Last of Us is the aberration here. I think almost all of the scripts elsewhere 
for, you know, fucking Skyrim yeah. is a good example. Like you need you need to bring in someone who's like a practice screenwriter that can turn this world or this IP or these characters into an actual story. But it's so you, hard. You don't in the case of Mario. Maybe yeah, well, that, I was gonna say that's the problem though. Is what the, I'm, I? How do you? That sounds completely true and completely logical. It's and, really and hard. You well, you also just imagine a studio going, "Well, what did um, Mario and Last of Us do?" And you're like, right. "Well, they basically made it one for one." Yeah. And you're like, "Wait, wait." So now you're telling me that we should do it um, differently? And you're like, "Yeah, you know, like they've done it for the past twenty years and it didn't work." Right. And it's like, well, no, those were just bad movies. Like, it's the problem is the, the, the recent evidence seems to suggest that you should just make Horizon Zero Dawn and try to get as close to the game as possible when that's, I really don't think that's the right, right call. Yeah. But I mean, who knows? I'm, I guess it depends on the script. You can get a good script, a screenwriter, maybe. That's, that, that's true. They have a lot to cut. Um, uh, that's, that's certainly true. That, maybe that's I, the what, way of looking I, at it. There's so much clay. Surely yeah. they can find the masterpiece. Yeah, you could find two hours in there that's like gold. Yeah, I think uh, that's right. Just to close this out, in terms of next steps for the Mario franchise, do you think, I, I kind of talked a little bit about this on Besties, do you think we're going to, like they're going to treat it exactly like the MCU, where it's just like a platform to slowly weave in all the Nintendo IP they have into movie after movie after movie and then spin off after spin off and then like is that the the end goal here i i said it on the show with donkey kong being a tv show the more i think about that the more i'm like that has to be the play because all so many of these animation studios have their streaming service spin-offs right yeah you know, sure like boss baby tv show or like whatever is on disney plus and what a what a incredible opportunity if you if you wanted to create spin-offs then the Mario game cuz yeah you you make the Donkey Kong thing you have all the whole Donkey Kong family you can do a kind of just Mario and Luigi i guess paper mario type of energy spin-off yeah i don't think you're thinking big enough though cuz at a certain point doesn't fucking link show up with Zelda well i see that's where i wouldn't i i wouldn't touch it because you have at least, you know, probably three TV shows that you can spin off this movie and then then have the mega movie releases, you know, what, every four years? Sure. And then, yeah, if you're Nintendo, figure out Zelda somewhere else. Oh, right? so you like, wouldn't you wouldn't put it in you wouldn't like jam it into this franchise? No, no, no. D don't don't burn it. And I don't think that they would either. I think um I think I don't think that they want to create a Super Nintendo world effect. I I don't know that that feels Why like not? misguided. Marvel, yeah, so successful with Marvel. Like, I mean, for I, I twenty years, I wouldn't I wouldn't rush to the end game. You know, like do ten years of this and then yeah. do ten years of of that if you need yeah. to. I, the reason I'm mentioning it is mostly because like I can't imagine what a Zelda movie would be you, if it's not like wink wink nudge nudge in the tone of the mario movie yeah well i mean the like zelda, i can't imagine a serious zelda movie it would need to be i don't even know what studio does that sort of stuff yeah like, and i also think like they're gonna work with illumination until the sun burns out yeah now that it works yeah yeah i yeah i i i don't think there's any reason to waste it you, you know who could do a zelda it would be like getting a really great anime studio like a I mean, really trust that would be the studio. dream Same i would like metroid yeah. yeah i know that you've wanted that one for a while or, or even like fucking like get, you know there's an amazing i've talked about it before the there's an amazing dark souls manga oh, like yeah. get those people to make a freaking dark souls anime count me in buddy yeah. i i hope that that i really hope that that's more we're we're leaning towards or at least that so the good the good thing about if we do go down the superhero rabbit hole is we will run into a bunch of trash and a bunch of junk. But it's kind of like a great um, financial experiment to find other interesting things you can do with game properties. That's true. So like, yeah. if if such an idea does exist, like, hey, let's do Dark Souls anime, it it will get funded. <laughs> you know, yeah. like, we'll, we'll, we'll see a ton of junk and we will see some things that are just absolutely awesome and would have never happened if not for everybody being desperate and trying a little bit of everything. 100%. Um, I, I have like one thing just to talk about. 
I, I'm trying to finish video games. Okay. Again, we've talked about this before we've too. Talked about it a lot. I, I'm not, and I've mocked you, you somewhat. This in is the part idea of it. that you don't finish games. It's in my head, and I don't finish games because I don't have that much time. Sure. And I have to be very purposeful with it. And every time I decide to finish a video game, that's like seven smaller games. I'm just not trying. Sure. Right. So that part stinks. Um, but I I do want to try to commit to games that I'm that I'm that I'm loving and not um, bouncing off purely because I feel an obligation to bounce off. And by that I mean I'm you know talk I'm I'm playing through Resident Evil uh, Four still playing through Octopath still. Um, my only fear though is like. What if I don't have one of those done before Zelda? What do I do then? What happens basically when uh, the really big game that I am uh, wanting to complete comes up against somehow an even bigger fish that's going to yeah, swallow sure. it whole? So I'll, I'll tell you what I do. First of all, I, I know it doesn't seem like it, but I do pick my battles and I don't finish a ton of games every year, especially not these days. With Besties and Resties, it's very difficult to finish games. Right. So I do focus on specific things. I make ample use of um, howlongtobeat.com, I believe it is. Mm -hmm. And I uh, always look up, like, how long is this game going to take me? And obviously, I'm not playing games to the end unless I really like them. Like, it needs to be something that I'm really enjoying. Um, so I guess in that situation, I mean, my instinct would be to look how much time I have. You know, Zelda comes out in a month. Um, I know how long Octopath takes to beat and I basically like math it out and figure, okay, if I play, you know, five hours a week or whatever it is, it'll be done by the time Zelda's out, mm. which is maybe more analytical than, I mean, you're pretty, pretty analytical with your time. So yeah, I, I, I keep my spreadsheet. See, the spreadsheet is actually what has like kept me away from doing this yeah. because I know that if like, oh, listen, that these are this many hundreds of hours of games I play a year, right? And I play, you know, two 50, 60 hour games. Is that like a third of my total right. game time? I don't, I'm, I don't know the exact number of hours on, in either direction. But when I can see it like that, that freaks me out. Um, though, what I'm, I, the, I'm trying to think of other things that I can cut away from. Like, are there, are there things that I don't enjoy as much? Or like, I watch a ton of movies. Am I getting diminishing returns? Like, probably. Maybe I should watch a few less. Um, I, I, you know, it's been like a good three years of like really going hard. Yeah. Um, but yeah, maybe, maybe uh, put a little. Do you, bit more time what is your things. like good to bad ratio in terms of the movies you see? Pretty, pretty solid. Um, like I, I have like a on Letterbox you can see a grading curve. Yeah. And it's just like kind of just a healthy grading curve. It looks like, like a it seven. Looks like, it looks like, yeah, like a, you know. Yeah. A little bell curve. Um, yeah. I mean, it, it, look, I'll tell you, for me, beating games, uh, you know, A, it puts like a, a bow on it. So I feel like, okay, I, right. it's done. I feel like I can speak to the game holistically. Like, I understand the full arc of it. But there are a lot of games that, like, don't have a lot of new things to really show you or tell you towards the let's say the second 20 hours of the game they might be repeating themselves and in those situations i'll feel like hey that was a waste of time i'm not happy that i uh spent all that time on this game that like didn't really have any curveballs to it so yeah i again i think you have to pick your battles and be mindful if this is a game that you really enjoy if it's octopath and you really want to know how all the octos come together in one Octopus. giant force to fight the big bad guy at the end. I'm I sure do. that's how I it really ends. Um, <laughs> then stick with it. Um, and But I think, you know, always evaluating whether your time is being adequately spent or, or whether it's being wasted. You know, Elden Ring, I think, is the perfect example. I do not regret a second of the 150 hours I spent in Elden Ring because it constantly is throwing you new stuff. Yeah, there's never a moment where it's like, oh, I have to do this, grind out this thing. I mean, you can grind if you want to, but there's really not a reason to. You're constantly like, oh, there's a new dungeon. Oh, there's a new whatever item to chase or something like that. This new uh, area that I just got in is like fucking bizarre and it has an amazing lore behind it. So 
I don't know. I, I that's not a game. That's a game that I spent a ton of time in and don't regret a second of it. But there are also games that like don't necessarily deserve that amount of time, even though that's how much it might take to beat. So to kind of decide for yourself, I guess. That's true. Um, should we get into any final questions? Uh, yeah, I think one or two, and then we'll wrap it up. Cool. Um, here's one from uh, a solar powered brick. What was the first game you remember finishing on your own as a kid? Mine was The Little Mermaid on NES when I was seven, and oh. I still carry a twinge of pride. That's great. Um, wow, good question. Mine's super boring. I, I the original Super Mario Brothers. That's interesting because I, yeah, I don't. Th- I think mine was probably Super Mario Three. Really. I think that's uh, of the ones that I beat because I was a little intimidated by the original Super Mario Brothers. And it's interesting that you would, you know, because you're a little bit younger than me. So yeah. it's interesting that you would gravitate towards the towards that one. How um, how old were you when you started playing games? Uh, I was probably like seven. Oh, uh, this is it. My parents, my parents started me very, very, very early. According to them, I started playing games when I was three. Wow! But I don't. I don't. I. I. I playing what? What were you playing when you were three? The NES. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. I. I don't. Yeah, we had an Intellivision in our house, but I didn't really play it. Oh yeah. Yeah. We we had some Atari that didn't get used, but I. My parents were very obsessed with like tinkering. They liked getting things and bre- breaking them open and seeing how they worked, which is yeah. weird because they're not other, especially technical people. Otherwise. And yeah, they got an NES because they just couldn't believe it. And then they immediately got bored of it because they had no interest in games. And then they thought like, well, get our money's worth. We'll put our kid in front of it. Yeah. Um, and my mom, who's a hairstylist, would, it was a way for her to work nights. She would, you know, have people come to the house to cut their hair to like make some extra money and put me in front of the NES. And I, that's, that, that's like, again, like earliest video game memories. Yeah. Um, Some of mine are also like, because I was the younger sibling and in classic younger sibling fashion, I would be like the backseat, like, hey, did you mm -hmm. try this person? And I remember very vividly, my brother was playing Super Castlevania on the SNES, fighting Dracula and getting his ass kicked and having the idea that if you whip the like bats that Dracula shoots out and uh, it turns into like chicken that heals you. And that was like the game changer moment. Oh, so, yeah. Good job. Do you are you are you gonna wait till uh, your kids seven to get them on games? No, not yeah. seven. Yeah, uh, probably like four. Yeah, that seems healthy. Yeah, we'll start with Splatterhouse and go from there. <laughs> <laughs> Fresh is giving an actual example of a thing I did with my child by accident. <laughs> <laughs> Um, cool. Uh, let's see. Uh, uh, let's do one more. Oh, here, here's, here's one, um, from Basil, Basil. Have we done a question from Basil or Basil before? I feel like I've said that. Maybe. Anyway, sorry for movie questions. I just got one of those unlimited movie passes so I can see an insane amount of movies and theaters. Oh boy, month. it's like Chris Plant. I highly recommend it. Favorite movie that's come out this year so far. Any movies you, you're especially excited for? Oh. Have I seen any new movies that came out this year apart from the Mario movie? Ooh. I don't think I have. Oh, I saw Creed three, okay. which I-, I was I thought was fine, it's fine, but not amazing. Um, yeah, so I-, I think I will defer to you, who has seen many more movies of new stuff that has come out this year, and not black and white or French. I mean, I don't, I don't even like French movies <laughs> that much. Um, Man, I don't know. The, new this year is tough. It's tough just because early in the year, they generally, that's where the bad stuff tends to come out is January, February. That's just like how it goes. Yeah. So there I, hasn't been a lot of time for the like real bangers to come out it, yet. It would be like the stuff that that was like Oscar contenders in December, but didn't come out until early this year, like After yeah. Sun. I really I thought that was pretty good. I li- I liked Megan. The horror movie with the oh yeah the, the robot horror the AI yeah doll. people really like that actually yeah that was great um, and then I'm trying to think of like anything that's coming out what what are you excited oh wait what we talked about on the other show I saw the D and D movie and I thought oh, that yeah. was like 
so much better than I could have possibly hoped. Is that your favorite movie of the movies you've seen this year? <laughs> Honestly, yes. <laughs> yeah, right on. I'm really excited to see it. Someone described it as uh, following the structure of Paddington, and uh, Paddington 2 specifically, and I was like, fuck yeah. Yeah. Love Paddington 2. Um, so. and, if, and if I need to be like uh, what people assume me to be, there's a new Haruki Murakami <laughs> adaptation yeah, called Blind Willow Sleeping Woman that is by a French composer. Booyah. I know. Um, it's, it's pretty What's good. that runtime? What's that runtime uh, at? Uh, it can't be more than... It's animated. So it must be... Oh. Pretty, like, okay. I think it was like an hour and a half. Oh, it's okay. good. If you, if you read... It's named Blind Willow Sleeping Woman, which is a short story collection. But it's actually largely uh, a different short story collection called After the Quake. So for people who love Murakami and know exactly what that means, you'll probably be like, good. That's a more enjoyable watch. The Murakami-verse. That's... Hey... This movie really, it suggests that it's possible. Unfortunately, I don't <laughs> think the money's there. Um, how, did you, do you have a, a thing coming up that you're excited for? Um, I like James Gunn's stuff, so I am genuinely interested in Guardians 3, even though I think the Marvel efforts since the snap have been uh, kind of tepid. But I think James Gunn makes good shit, so I'm curious to see that. I want that Mission Impossible movie. You know? Oh, is, does he have an, a pitch for a Mission Impossible movie? No. Oh no, you, the you new mean the Mission new one? Impos- yeah, it's coming out. Yeah. And I, I, oh, I'm I'm to dying see to see that movie. Yeah. yeah. Um. Oh, and the new Evil Dead. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, it looks good. Who's directing that? Um, I don't is know, Raimi but it looks or... really upsetting. Um, it's not Raimi; it's Lee yeah. Cronin, but I think Raimi was a producer on it. Hmm. Um, and then also Polite Society. Uh, which is just like awesome looking teen action movie. Cool. Uh, yeah, very, very excited. All that's like coming up in like the next few weeks. Jeez. Uh, yeah, movies are about to get good. Um, any Anything else before we wrap? No, I think we did it. We did it again. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. I realize we didn't do a recommendation of the week, but that kind of... That's kind of what that final we question We really was, did. Right? We yeah. recommended a lot of things. Um, uh, that's it. We did it. Another episode of The Resties. Uh, thank you so much for listening. We hope you check out Crab Champions. It's like eight bucks on Steam Ten bucks. right now. Ten, Ten bucks, bucks on, Steam. on Steam. No longer on sale, I guess. And uh, and that's it. This has been The Resties. I'm Chris Plant. He's Rust Frustic. We're The Resties. We're the rest of the best. Discuss the best of the rest and give multiple endings and false starts to the end of an episode. Goodbye. Resties. Resties.